Hey guys, welcome to Startups of the Week, Season 3. I'm Sophia Kanthara, and I'm here with Owen Thomas. Hey there. And Alex Wilhelm. Hello. And this week, we'll be talking about a couple of companies that make it easier to manage projects at work, and a company that's bringing a popular movie to anime. That's all coming up on Startups of the Week. Up first this week, we have Crunchyroll, which is a video streaming service um, that shows Japanese anime and manga. And they are trending online this week because a couple of different places have written about it. They are developing a um, an animated series inspired by Blade Runner 2049. Um, so Variety actually reported on this, and they're partnering with Alcon Television Group um, for the new series and also Adult Swim. Wow, okay. So we have the Blade Runner franchise, Crunchyroll as a platform, and also, wow, that, that, that's a lot of stuff going on at once. I like that. Now, you guys haven't seen Blade Runner 2049, because I asked before. I confess I have not. We have not. That's why we're turning to you for this one. (laughs) But I think the Blade Runner franchise is well known. What this makes me think of is House of Cards for Netflix, or Man in the High Castle, or Transparent for Amazon Prime Video. It's the tentpole attention-getting offer in the subscription service that gets people to consider uh, trying the subscription. It's the Jay-Z on title kind of thing. <laughs> or that, or that. If you're a music person, you got that. If you're not a music person, you didn't. But I, I like the idea. And is this going to be a big investment from them, do we think? Is this kind of a, a Crunchyroll new sort of initiative, or is this something they've done before? I'm not, I know Crunchyroll the brand, but I'm not really in the, uh, I don't watch what they usually offer. Well, it's it's the playbook that we've seen again and again with subscription services, is that they start out by licensing content, which Crunchyroll has done, and Crunchyroll has kind of stood out and you know thrived as a as a you know more niche product because um, you know if you're an anime fan you're an anime fan you you go to conventions you collect print manga you know like you're into it so they've always had that audience but to get you know to get outside of that audience they probably need something a little more attention getting a little more mainstream connection so you know they get Blade Runner. Yeah. fans in here to consider it. They also just get people in the, you know, in the anime community a little more excited about the product and maybe tip them over to subscribing. Yeah. Well, I mean, for the first time ever in my life, I'm going to check out Crunchyroll and give it the old college try because this sounds cool. And I thought later in 24 and was a fantastic film. So I'll we'll take your word for it. I, I mean, if you <laughs> liked the first one, you'll probably like the second one. If you didn't and don't watch it, it's not for you. Um, but Crunchyroll, as a last note before we move on, has mm-hmm. raised uh, tw- about $27 million in venture capital, and its last round was in November of 2015, when it raised $22 million from Otter Media. So they haven't raised in a while. I presume they're doing okay financially, because they're still doing new things. Yeah, Otter Media is that AT&T vehicle, right? That's So they have ties to the new Warner Media empire, potentially. Uh, a lot of good potential uh, you know, exits, tie-ups for... Crunchy roll in the future. It's good to have friends in high places or even high castles. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so up next we have Asana, which um, is we're talking about them this week because they received a new round of funding, their Series E, $50 million. Um, and Asana is basically a work management tool where a lot of different companies from Airbnb, um, Uber, but also places like Air France use them um, to be able to track progress on projects and that kind of thing. Um, So they have two relatively new products, which is their timeline and also their portfolio, um, so that managers can track 
project progress. Um, so with the portfolio, you can actually monitor how teams are doing. Um, and I spoke with their COO this week, and they actually have a pretty interesting story of how they how they started. Um, so they were founded by actually one of the Facebook co-founders, Dustin Moskovitz. Um, and how it came about is when Facebook was in their early days, um, they were spending so much time, uh, the CEO is telling me, like figuring out who's doing what and trying to delegate stuff, that they're spending more time on that than actually building the product. So they had to create something to kind of delegate all these tasks and make coordination a lot easier. So that's where the idea of this comes from. Yeah, so Dustin Moskovitz and Justin Rosenstein, mm-hmm. the two founders, are both uh, ex-Facebook. Mm-hmm. And this, for them, is kind of a second, second success, which is rare in the startup world. It's hard to have two projects that you were early or founding on do this well. Um, I want to point out, this is their second round this year. They raised, in January of this year, their Series D, which is $75 million, So now they've raised $125 million dollars in 2018. Uh, are they packing up for like a winter? What's going on? <laughs> well, you know, a lot of people are concerned about what the market is going to look like. Um, you know, if it's, if they are not, you know, kind of near a IPO stage, uh, I could certainly see them wanting to make sure they just have enough cash to kind of last. And these, you know, these subscription software businesses, Alex, I know you've done a lot of modeling around how these businesses work. But um, basically, they you know they kind of require cash upfront to acquire customers. Then you hook them because what happens is you've trained all your employees, you've developed kind of internal conventions and systems around the software, and sure you could in theory drop it and you know um, switch to someone else. But the forget the you know it's it's easy to just turn off the subscription and sign up for something else like you know financially. But the human cost of switching, once you've kind of geared your work around a certain way of doing things, is very high. Especially mm-hmm. for products like this that are designed to get into your workflow and design how your teams function. Like the idea of using Asana, as far as I can tell, is having much more efficient productivity in a company, mm-hmm. uh, better and maybe less communication, but just stronger communication. You can't take that out and then expect everyone to use Slack the next day or whatever you throw in there and have it go as well. You build the DNA around the tools you use. This is actually made so people, well, not so people wouldn't be using Slack, but so people aren't getting constantly pinged and stuff that like it's trying to consolidate everything so that you don't have to have more communication so that you know exactly what your team is is looking for. Yeah, there's you know, I actually have some experience using Asana at a prior publication and it's really good for um, it's not good for say editorial workflow where you're just moving very quickly from a draft to an edit to publish. Uh, but it is good for like kind of project management so the our business side to handle advertising sales for example would kind of figure out, okay, we need to get the order in, and we need to get the specs, and we need to get the creative, and then someone needs to package that all together and upload them to the ad server. And, you know, it's like when you get to a certain number of steps and a certain number of dependencies and assets and interactions and all that, you need something to keep track of it. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's all kinds of project management software out there. Uh, I think Asana just... um, Asana kind of hit a moment. I think the Facebook pedigree is good because people think of Facebook as, you know, the move fast and break things company. It, I, I could see how they would want to de-emphasize the Facebook <laughs> pedigree now. It's but, been a rough couple of months. Yeah, but, you know, there was a time when, like, the idea of why don't you do things the way Facebook does um, had a certain appeal. I think now they're probably, I think now they're probably 
emphasizing more the business benefits when they're signing up a customer like Air France. It's really just like, this is what this is going to do for your business. Yeah. And also, they're doing very well financially. So the company released a chart around this funding event. They announced their new valuation, $1.5 billion, and they released an excellent chart that doesn't have a y-axis for revenue. So we can see the revenue going up quickly, but there's no... <laughs> Check, you know, check marks to show you what uh, what it's at. But I can say, eyeballing this chart a little bit, that in the last kind of like year, it's gone up by like 40%, maybe more. Go for it. So that's actually very interesting that you say 40% because um, this is a different number, or this is different, but they're, uh, with this new funding, part of what they want to do with it is expand internationally. And so what they were telling me was for the past year and a half, they have been focusing on this international expansion because about a year and a half ago, they realized that about 40% of their revenue was coming from internationally without any focus on it. And he was like, that's kind of unheard of without, you know, putting any like focus on that for revenue to be that high internationally. So now they're trying to grow that and they're opening up, they're planning on opening up an EU data center in Frankfurt actually in the first half of 2019. Can I just quickly caveat what I just said? Mm -hmm. um, I'm bad at reading charts that don't have numbers on them. I would go ahead and say 80% in the last year now that I looked at the CN. <laughs> so it was a great segue by accident, but I don't want to be uh, misrepresenting uh, their growth. I, it's mm -hmm. much higher than 40%. 40% growth for a company at this stage that's a recurring business model would be quite slow. Mm -hmm. So I'm it's, it's much faster than that. Don't worry, listeners, I promise. <laughs> uh, but let's stay on the uh, on the productivity side of things and talk about um, Rike. Yes, so that is our um, our third startup of the week. Um, it is Rike, and it's in the news because it actually received a majority investment from Vista Equity Partners. Um, so it's kind of an acquisition, but not actually. They bought the majority stake, so. Yeah, it's, so this is another company with, a, uh, with an accelerating valuation of Reportedly, in late 2017, when they got their last round, um, uh, they were valued at 275 million. The Wall Street Journal reported that with this uh, majority stake from Vista, they're valued at 800 million. Now, the question is, how much uh, how much did the per share price uh, change from those rounds? There are various scenarios, and we don't have a lot of details. So, we're kind of left to speculate: Did they buy out existing investors and employees? Or did they actually just pump a lot of money into the company? Uh, we don't know. Um, you know, we don't really know again because they're not disclosing. But it still is a very impressive rise in valuation in uh, just uh, just over a year. And Vista Equity Partners is a private equity shop, I presume. And they've done this with other um, other kind of enterprise software companies like uh, Marketo and Exactly and Cvent. Mm -hmm. um, it's definitely a different model. Typically. Venture capital uh, firms want to take a 10% to 20% stake. Now, we do see SoftBank coming in with the Vision Fund wanting to take bigger stakes and kind of bless uh, bless winners. Um, with capital, essentially. Yeah. Here's the capital to win. Go forth and, and do that. Yeah. So th this, I'd say, is a third approach where you know Vista is kind of betting that um, there will be a sale or an IPO, and as majority owners, they'll be, you know, they will be the largest beneficiaries. Exactly, the key beneficiaries of that. I'm, I'm impressed by it, but also I want to put this under the broader umbrella of increasing private equity activity inside of tech, going after deals they wouldn't have gone after five years ago because there's more capital available than deals, so deals get a bit looser. And they're also paying more for these deals inside of recurring revenue model startup companies. Yeah. So here, this fits under a lot of those different points, but I mean, this is just more PE activity inside of a space that would have been, as you said, reserved earlier in different generations for venture capital. Yeah. So it's 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 rising competition. 
competition, more dollars, and more aggressive. This is not an investment in a wait and see. This is we're going to buy the majority of it and probably help drive it towards the exit that they want, which and, is probably going to be an IPO. And by the way, they are pursuing a playbook very similar to Asana. Uh, just this week, Reich announced that it was opening up a Dublin headquarters, um, you know, to be its European outpost in Ireland. And you know, obviously, that's you know, that's expensive. That's where some of the you know some of the money is presumably going. Yeah. Um, and you know, it just sounds a lot like what Asana is doing. So these two companies, as well as many other players in project management, are racing to plant the flag in as many countries as possible, establish a local sales force, establish. Uh, relationships with local customers and also um, tap local talent pools around the world. And Interesting know. segue there about talent pools because I was speaking to an investor in the SaaS space, the software as a service space yesterday, and he was mentioning how certain markets around the world are essentially tapped out talent-wise. That people have moved in, the large corporations hired everyone, and there's 0% unemployment. And one place he mentioned was Ireland. So I think it's the popular HQ location for a lot of uh, American tech companies to have their EU location. Again, fact check me on that. Mm-hmm. But that means that in the area, there's just not a lot of people left to hire. So I wonder <laughs> if we've created like a micro Silicon Valley talent crisis in certain places where a lot of companies are trying to expand to. Well, you know, with with uh, Brexit pending, I I wonder if we'll see you know maybe people, especially uh, EU expats, moving from London to Dublin to um, participate in that you know, in that hiring pool. Oh my gosh, what will that do to the housing market? Uh, <laughs> it will send it soaring. Yeah, it's it, yeah, it'll, it will, will look like Silicon Valley in many, many more ways. Oh man. Uh, well, Exporting think, our problems around the world. <laughs> I guess works for us. Um, that's all we have for this week. We'll see you back here next week on Startups of the Week. Startups of the Week is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is the editor-in-chief. If you like the show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've got a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing. Follow us on Twitter at Tech Chronicle and support Startups of the Week and a lot of great journalism with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe. And you know the secret is King King starts recording the moment we walk in, so he mixes in excerpts from our banter. <laughs> I, I'm that giving away all your secrets. <laughs> Haven't there been? Giving some away all your secrets. Never record anyone without their knowledge. <laughs>